definitely people were not ready and people were shocked uh, that and some people were like how dare you who do you think you are my initial gut reaction is because we're fed up <laughs> yeah like we're fed up seeing you know the world just have just different people in power who don't represent us I made that deliberate decision that I'm mm. not going to shrink. I am not going to be small. I'm going to be large and let everybody know that there was a black woman here who spoke with an accent. <laughs> Hello, my name is Olivia Beauty. Welcome to Searching for Izena. On Womanly Stories of Female Leadership at Edmonton City Hall, brought to you by YWCA Edmonton, Parity Yeg, and several past and present Edmonton City Councillors. 100 years ago, on December 12, 1921, Edmonton elected its first female councillor, Izena Ross. Over the past century, only 30 women have followed in her footsteps, including me. This nine-part podcast, generously sponsored by the Edmund Community Foundation, will tell that wildly incomplete chapter of our city's history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You will get to meet the 31 female councillors and learn more about why they ran and how they shaped our city. And there are still barriers that need to be broken, even in 2021. Now, let's get started. Our hosts for this political journey are Stacey Bratzel and Kim Ann Wilson. Hello and welcome to Searching for Izena on Womanly Stories of Female Leadership at Edmonton City Hall. I am Kim Ann Wilson and today you're joined by myself and our co-host Stacey Bratzel. Yes, this is a really exciting one It's because awesome. I think this entire podcast, I'm going to try to get you to run for council <laughs> or for some elected office. So be prepared for that, Kim Ann. You're not the only one, Stacey. So, you know, bring it on and for now i'll leave it as a question mark i'm learning so much during this whole series and it's been so enlightening and enriching so i'm let's see let's let's see what is, is it something that has ever been on your radar never ever ever because of personally uh you guys you ladies or, or listeners don't know that i'm i am jamaican born and i actually grew up in england from there, I moved to uh, Ontario in 2010 for school. I got a full scholarship, went there, and that's where my Canadian journey started. I ended up in Alberta, Edmonton as of December 2012, right? So it's never been a thought for me to say, you know, let's go and represent the, the, the city of Edmonton. Because for me, I always thought as a, a, a leader in that field, in the political field, you need to have some kind of roots, in Canada, at least, before you can say, okay, you're going to go and try and represent the people. So it's never been a thought of mine. But being on this show, listening to all these amazing women, I'm like, hold on a second. Some of the barriers that I had as self-beliefs aren't even barriers at all. So the gate is kind of open. And that's good, right? It's awesome. Let's look at some stats. 
in the last 100 years, and the YWCA has put so much effort and so, so many volunteer work. hours Jeez. into researching this episode. Honestly. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of difficult to determine how many women of color have run over the last 100 years because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of information yeah. on some of the candidates until right. recently. Um, so they've, they've calculated about 21 women of color have run. None have won. Crazy. Crazy. But this year... Eight women of color so far. So far. It's, it's early yet. There so could far. be more. There could That's be right. less. You never know. We've got a few months until the until the municipal election, but mm-hmm. we need more names on the ballot. I agree. I agree. That representation need to be had. And, and, and that's the reason I think for me, it was never a thought of mine because I'm like, well, there, nobody there that, that's there that speaks for me. There's nobody there that looks like me. So why would I be interested? Right. So it's never been a thought because I've never I never saw someone in, 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 in a role that could speak on my behalf. Right. But I look to the states in what has recently happened, mm-hmm. like with Camilla Harris. I'm like, but hold on a second. She did that. Like, why can't we do that here? Right. And I think that that speaks to why we now have so many women who have put their name in and they're like, you know what? We can do that here, too. So come, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do it. Let's talk about who's coming up on the episode. Some inspiring women. We actually go to Delhi, India. We had had to sort of negotiate a time change there to talk to Dr. Saida Hamid. She's going to join us in just a few minutes. She's the very first woman of color to run for office. That was back in 1974. She says, I didn't even know I was the first. (laughs) Also, we talked to three women who ran for council and for mayor. We talked to them about what it was like. uh, And and they give some advice Mm -hmm. as well on, Mm on, 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 why you should do it and how you should do yep. it and how it's easier than you might there you go think yes and at the very end of this podcast really looking forward to this a ywca volunteer interviews her mom about In her Kenya. Ex- <laughs> this is a global, is episode. a global episode i love it she <laughs> talks about her experience and what she had to overcome uh she had to overcome fear and, and intimidation and she basically just decided to say i'm a black woman with an accent get over it voters like she should yeah. and that's right yeah. So uh, we talked about all the hard work that YWCA volunteers have put into this episode. Yep. We sent out a survey to all of the known women of color who have run for city council. And and there's kind of some interesting mm-hmm. um, responses. 57% of the women say that they would run again. So that number should be a little bit higher. I think so, too. Yeah, but maybe they didn't have a great experience. Uh, There were some difficulties and barriers in the political environment as a woman of color. So 85%, and this is a big number, had a lack of funding or lack of access to Mm -hmm. funding. And we talked to Dr. Hamid, uh, that's going to be our first interview, a little bit about how she ran. And and Jan Reimer ran the same way with a slate. Mm -hmm. So you have sort of a built-in uh, mechanism. Uh, there's already a machine there working for you. You're not just, hi, I'm Stacey Brotzel. Will you right. vote for me? No, I'm part of something else, something right. bigger yes. that that can uh, culminate support for, for women who may not feel that they can do it on their own. And I think that's one of the key takeaways here is that that support <laughs> was there. And, you know, as we've been speaking to, you know, previous episodes and even in this current episode, I think that's something that's been pushed forward is that we need to have that back. Maybe. Yeah, right. It's definitely an option, it's right? needed. Not even not even an option, Stacey. I think it's something that we must take away from this series is that we need to get this back in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about having women in these leadership roles, well, we need to do something about it. And I think that's the foundation. Yep. Uh, more respondents. Uh, they said 57 percent were faced with barriers related to 
gender roles, such as taking care of their family and raising kids. I was blown away that so many women had like their baby within a few months of, you know, wanting to run. Even on this episode, it was like, what? Yeah, how how many women are on this episode? Uh, Six and two of them had babies when they were within like three months. Yeah, like month old babies, like newborn babies. I was shocked. I'm like, go do that. Ah, (laughs) 71% said that they had issues with media coverage. That's an issue. That was interesting. For sure. Yeah. Um, 42%, 42, well, 43% say that they were racially stereotyped. Yes. And then I I believe majority of that wasn't during the campaign, though. It was more afterwards. Well, it depends on right? some of our panelists talk about that. They didn't yeah. they, they didn't keep a keen eye on their social media. They had people to filter that stuff from them. And that, so they I think just that's kept a, I their think that's eye a on good the strategy. I think that's a fantastic strategy. And we have more advice coming from the candidates in just a few minutes. Lastly, 75 percent say they experienced social media aggression. And that is I think a barrier to a lot of people, men Agreed. and women, but mostly women. Agreed. And I think it's to be expected. So, you know, go back to the strategy of just not paying attention to that, right? Focus on what's in front of you, focus on what you can control. You cannot control social media. So why worry about it? And and it and is that really your voters? They may not even live in your riding. Right. They're just haters. <laughs> Who are they? Exactly. Um, Trying is, to throw you off your game. Yeah. That's it's not real life social media, but sometimes it's really hard to read those things. That's true. I've read them. That's true. <laughs> and you know, yeah. it sits in the back of your mind and it erodes your confidence. Yeah, yeah. Right? I get it. And and for me personally, what I think the biggest highlight for me was for from this episode is just to go for it. Because there is actually more for you than are against you. I think that's my personal big Biggest takeaway is there's more for you than are against you. So just go for it. All right. Let's go for this. Uh, this episode. Let's introduce our first guest. She is an Indian social and women's rights activist, educator, writer. She lived here in Edmonton in 1974, and she was the first woman of color to run for office way back when. She joins us from Delhi, India, Dr. Saida Hamid. Dr. Hamid, you were the first woman of color to run for office way back in 1974. And when the YWCA first contacted you, you said you didn't even know that fact. No, no, I, um, I, you know, I was, uh, I'd been in Canada, uh, well, I reached Canada in 67. And so I'd been there for about seven years. And uh, yeah, I didn't know that. I, I, I mean, the, this whole thing of color, you're, you're all so young, and so you wouldn't know, but that color thing was not that important those days, you know, that um, identifying and, and um, you know, this categorization, no. So I have no idea. Wow, that's amazing. And you also, when you, when you ran, you were, what, 27 <laughs> years old? And with a baby? Yeah. With, you, three, with three, with three, and one baby. Yeah. How old three were your children and one baby? Yeah. How old was mm-hmm. the youngest, the baby? The baby was about. Uh, she was born in. Uh, my goodness, she was born in seventy four. So she must have been a few months. Wow, old a few time. months old. Yeah. And you decided to just yeah, get up and run. Fall, and she uh, she was born in May. So this was this was a, I know because it was cold when we went door knocking. <laughs> so yeah so with it, a brand it, new she was just a few months old 
Wow. Mm-hmm. With a brand new baby, only a few months old, you decided to get up and run for city council. Why? I've, I've always been, um, very, I've, I was always very interested in politics. I was very conscious, deeply conscious of environment. And uh, <clears throat> I thought that I'd served, uh, I, I'd already, um, I was, I think, a sessional lecturer at the University of Alberta at that time, or I must have finished my two years. Uh, I had a bunch of friends and uh, they were, um, my husband was a professor at the Faculty of Business Administration and Commerce in Labor in labor Relations. And he had colleagues who were, we were all like young people and, you know, the world had opened up for us and we were just quite oblivious of what life lay, lay ahead. So, you know, this idea of environment and this idea of uh, uh, women uh, taking a front seat in it, you know, that kind, that way, that was very important in that circle. So, um, you know, that sort of persuasion and, oh, the other thing was that I've always been very interested in theater and politics was a lot theater also. <laughs> and Dramatic. Uh, <laughs> it, everything just combined and, um, you know, the sense when you're 27, sense of great sense of adventure and when, and people were kind, people were only 600, 6,000, I, I think I wrote it down here, 6,194 Edmontonians voted for me. Wow. But generally, people were very kind. And at that time, I didn't think, you know, like color prejudice and these kind of things never struck me or, or that small circle of friends, which had an, another, it was a mixed circle. It was not like colored people or people from one part of the world. They were all you know, people from 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 uh, Ontario, from uh, Winnipeg, from Saskatchewan, you know, all over the place. But right now, looking back over the last 100 years on Edmonton City Council, we haven't had one woman of colour sit in a chair in the council chambers. Mm-hmm. So what, what, you know, you were the first back 47 years ago. Why hasn't a woman of colour been successful since? Well, um, I, I, you know, I, uh, because I, I don't know if you followed my trajectory or not, but I became, you know, very, very involved and, in, you know, in, 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 on the political scene and all that here also, when I came back uh, to India, I came back the year Mrs. Gandhi was assassinated. So that was 1984. I remember that, like it was yesterday. So, um, yeah, I, I haven't, I, I don't know if there was, the women of color ran and uh, lost. I'm not sure that I'm, I've not kept track of that. Yeah, only uh, I, we, we, we've gone, the YWCA, mm-hmm. all the volunteers, we have scoured the records to see how many women of color have actually even ran in the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. And we're, we've got about 2021. 20, yeah, so in at, 100 years. In 100 years. That, that that's that's saying a lot, doesn't it? How do you? Yeah, that's saying a lot when you know the world has welcomed Kamala Harris. It's saying a lot. Yes. But I think that um, you know I have had, um, although I, I I tell you people were kind, but I have had um, uh, communal uh, slurs uh, thrown at me. Uh, I have had um, my my set of experience of of being. Uh, you know, asked to go home and uh, uh, all, I mean, I don't want to necessarily recount that. So I think people were, they, they, they could not, maybe they could not sort of uh, 
in, they could not um, accept uh, a woman. Well, I had two women who were running with, and both were very good friends. One was a woman called Betty Hughes, yeah. and uh, there was one more, um, uh, one more woman, and her name was um, I'm trying to remember. Um, Betty Hughes, I remember very well. Anyway, it will come back to me. Uh, so um, they were uh, it, to 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 be able to 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 bring women into decision making. That was one, and of course, you've since had a um, a premier. Uh, a woman premier. So having women in these positions, decision-making positions, mm -hmm. and a colored woman at that. A colored woman was either, mm, you know, you could, the academia accepted it. And I remember one thing very well, which is when I started uh, my sessional lectureship in at the, at the University of Alberta, some people remarked at the fact that I was wearing a sari. And one professor who was just, he was one of the persons who was uh, like he belonged to the whole world. He said, "Don't give up." And he was a he was a he was from um, I don't know Moose Jaw or somewhere, but like he was not like from Paris or or uh, anywhere any cosmopolitan place. But you know, within from from within the within the province. And he said, "Don't give up. It's a beautiful dress. Wear it and wear it with pride." Mm. I could I felt tears. You know. At that young age, you know, like somebody understood, you know, by the pride that I, I wanted people. To. So uh, there were people like that, but I think generally the acceptance of um, of uh, a colored person in a decision making, I think that was uh, that 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 took a long, long time. And and as you say, so it's not even happened today, 2021. Exactly. Although we started trying in 74. Exactly. Exactly, Sahida. So, you know, you spoke a little bit about um, the focus in that time was for women taking, you know, the front and center positions in these leadership roles. So for you, what was it like trying to break that ceiling that you mentioned that was somewhat unbreakable? That's that's pretty important to know. It was, um, I, I, of course, I didn't win. So I don't, I, I never sat in those chambers. Uh, and I never, I, I never sort of uh, the 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 challenge of being able to uh, deal with that. I, ne I never really it never came my way. But throughout the campaign, when uh, we were campaigning on on an, it, it was a campaign on a urban reform. So the 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 group that endorsed me, two uh, two uh, formulations endorsed me. One was called Urge which was Urban Reform Group Edmonton. And the other was um, uh, Edmonton District and Labor Council. So these were, of course, you can see that they were groups that would endorse a colored a woman and a, and a woman from, uh, especially a South Asian. You know, we were rock bottom at that time in terms of the hierarchy of the world. Today, it's a, it's a different story. But um, so these were... And these, these, but and and generally because I moved in the university circles, uh, there was much more acceptance and a, a greater welcome. And I've written, I'm actually I'm writing my memoirs, and I'll go back to that uh, that time in Edmonton when I ran. And every doorbell I rang, there was warmth there. And I was of course not used to the cold, and it was like just before <laughs> Halloween. It was terribly, for me, very cold. So there was always a warmth 
you know, come in, you know, are you, you know, just warm up a little bit, somebody offered something to drink. So that, that whole, it, there was a warmth in that, maybe because it was Belgravia and Windsor Park, mm -hmm. you know, some of those areas where uh, there were people who were more in, you know, connected with the rest of the world. So you, so you mentioned, uh, Dr. Hamid, um, that that you've cracked the ceiling. You didn't break through the ceiling, uh, but you you said that you um, ran under a slate, one of which was urge. And I know that uh, we had our first female mayor, Jan Reimer, said that she also was part of a slate. Do you think um, that is beneficial? Maybe we should bring that back because th that's not something that we talk about anymore in municipal mm -hmm. politics here in Edmonton. Uh, it just it just seems it maybe makes candidates feel less alone, maybe like they have uh, somebody at their back. Um, like it's a team effort as opposed to a solo effort and you have to fundraise all by yourself and, and it's just your name as opposed to an entire slate and a cause behind you. Do you think, and I know I know you haven't been here in a while, you left in Edmonton, you left Edmonton in 1984, but do you, do you think that that's something that if, if, a, if a woman of color was looking at running, that we might want to bring possibly a slate model back to municipal politics in Edmonton? I think slates are very important because it gives a great, uh, you know, sense of they, they own me and I related to them because again you know district labor council you know always you know uh, speaking for those who are underprivileged in in this part of the world there are lots and lots of underprivileged there was that was not the such a stark contrast in those days but regardless and of course urban reform that time we were talking of environment we were talking of water we were talking of not spoiling the River Valley, we were saying that don't build all these roads and ruin, you know, the habitat, the natural habitat of the, the, uh, the, the birds, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the trees, the plants, the flowers, you know, and it was, and I was just looking at, I've got my clippings from 1974, which I took out in order to be able to talk to you today. And I looked at all the uh, people in my ward and most of the men, as far as, you know, building a, what did, McKinnon Freeway or something, uh, tearing through that river valley, everyone said, yes, 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 mm. all the way down. Because issues were horizontally and vertically placed on that, that graph that they had made. And some, the odd person said, no, it's not really that great an idea. But the women... Sure, they were definitely for preserving nature and, and nurturing. The nurturing quality of women was evident even in that, when I looked at that graph. That's awesome. It speaks testament to a true woman, right? You show up and, you know, you're considerate of everything around you, not just future thinking and future planning. You take into consideration, you know, people's feelings and you take into consideration nature and it's holistic, right? And it's it's so beautiful to see. But for you, Sahida, I think the question here, when we, when we talk about people of color running for politics, running for leadership positions and, you know, what you've achieved, like you're a trailblazer and you didn't even realize it right so it's awesome and it's beautiful to see but can you speak a little bit to you know you run in the campaign your experience when it comes to 
um, society's feedback or even from your own community, um, you know, the reception you received from, from even that, like, what was it like for you? Did you get, did you experience any racism? Was it, was there at one point anything that made you want to not run because of how you were treated? Can you speak to any of that? Actually, that's a very good question. I have experienced racism in Edmonton, but not during that campaign. Hmm. It happened much later, and it happened right in front of Harry and Lee's school, and I have written about it. I cannot forget it. But that was, you know, some... I think it was more like an aberration, or I didn't. maybe I didn't go to those places where, you know, there are more uh, ultra-ultra conservatives. But in my campaign... Never. I never experienced any kind of, now of course they use the word trolling. At that time, there was no sense about, there was no concept of trolling, but never, no slur, nothing. There was all warmth, openness and welcome. Beautiful. Otherwise, I, being the kind of person I am, I would have shrunk. But I just kept going ahead because that I had, then all these friends, they were all white uh, I mean, not all, but most of them were my husband's colleagues from sociology department, from political science, from business, from all over the campus and and completely supportive. And my own community were, there was, it was a much smaller community, not like what it is now, I believe, but it was a much smaller community and generally quite supportive. And, and if they were, if they had some inner feelings, well, I didn't really notice them. <laughs> it sounded like you thought you had a chance to win and that you could do this and that there were no barriers. The fact you're a woman absolutely. and a woman of color, that, that didn't bother you. No, not at all. You're absolutely right. Maybe I was blind, I was stupid, <laughs> whatever. But I never thought, I thought, yeah, maybe I'll win. And that's the right attitude to have. And I wish most women, I wish all women would also take that away. So from you, Dr. Saida, what would you say to another woman of color who, you know, they're on the fence or they even they didn't even think about this being an opportunity? And I'm you're probably going to speak to me directly here because that's something that I've been, um, you know, realizing over the course of this this episode series is that this has never been something that I thought about. But, you know, you did it. You were the first woman to do it. What would you say to another woman who would possibly think, you know what, this is a possibility for me? What advice would you want to give her? I would definitely want her to step right in, to go ahead, to throw her name and to get a cohort around herself of, you know, the beauty of, having a kind of a it's a it used to be the we used to call canada a, a mosaic it was not a melting pot mm -hmm. and that to me i don't know if they use the word mosaic now or not but in those 70s they did and so which meant different colors different forms that was the richness of canada whereas us was a melting pot everyone just became <laughs> homogenized but you also, you know, I'm, that's how I, that to me was, was wonderful. And all the way here, so many thousands of miles away and so much time difference and all that, we try to tell people that it is that, you know, when the thousand flowers bloom, it's so much richer. So I would say, yes, do by all means, 
place your name there run there are enough people that who will you know who have the who who think in 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 to that that it is the varied experiences that people bring if you may you may come from an oppressed you may be oppressed you may be in you have some other kinds of challenges but the very fact that you can you know bring that is you you bring greater depth to your work and also that gives you the confidence to speak out because you have nothing to lose so i would definitely encourage younger women like you and you know my next generation to never hesitate for a moment before because i think women are ultimately it's the women who are the kind of what we have gone through in the last over a year now and and so many we have gone through wars and we have gone through pest so many things it's always the women who carry the brunt of it and i think it's the women who know how to be how to cope best so women and the in decision making is what i definitely vote for and i know since you left edmonton you are uh, a champion for women's rights in india where you now live you're an activist you're an educator you're a writer you mentioned that you're writing your memoirs and i heard a little birdie told me that you were writing about edmonton and before we let you go you got to let us know what 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 do you say about edmonton you called this your home when we were just logging on to uh, zoom with you um it's been a, a while since you left but I, it kind of feels like your a bit of your heart is still here <laughs> yes definitely my heart is very much there i have family there all my three children were born there now they are in various other parts of canada they're all doing you know good work work which to me is humanitarian work wherever they are doing so i know definitely i for me canada edmonton will always be a home and i i left in 85 84 and then finally in 85 uh, but i've always gone back because you know you always go back to the place where you know you 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 so much you so much that you love is is there in 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 your city and and the beauty of it all the you know what i have experienced both in terms of pain and pleasure it's all all over the city of edmonton Thank you so much. I know it's uh, nighttime there. <laughs> It is early morning here and I appreciate your time and uh, making some time to talk about your experience with us and your name may not be in the history book but it's certainly on a podcast now and uh, certainly going to be a, a note uh, a, on record about what you did and who was the first woman of color to run back in 1974. Thank you so much Dr. Hamid. Thank you so much. Thank you so much everyone. Thank you for listening to Searching for Izina. This podcast was made possible thanks to the generous financial support of the Edmonton Community Foundation. We also want to thank the Edmonton Public Library, the City of Edmonton Archives, the Adams Agency, and Ryan Jesperson for the generous use of his Real Talk recording studio. Check out searchingforizina.com for a full list of this project sponsors, partners and committee members. Searching for Izina has been largely powered by volunteers from across the capital region. From research to social media to marketing, volunteers of all ages, backgrounds and political leanings are helping bring Searching for Izina to life 
during a pandemic and countless Zoom calls. Thanks to the former and current Edmond City Councilors who have helped us tell their important stories. Now, back to searching for Azina. Thanks, Dr. Hamid, and thanks for joining us all the way from India today. All right. She ran in 1974. We're now going to talk to three ladies who ran in the last decade. We've got Denisha Balu Shivji. She ran for council six years ago in a by-election that Mo Bango won. We've also got Nafisa Bowen. She ran in Ward 5 in 2017. She was beaten by Sarah Hamilton. So we are talking to three women who didn't win. And we've also got Taz Boucher. She's a well-known elder. She ran for mayor in 2017, also ran for council in Ward 6 in 2013. Thanks for joining us, ladies. Denisha, let's start with you. You ran in the last by-election. Tell us about what your experience was like. It was a very crowded field, 35 people running for for the seat. Uh, What was your experience like? Thanks for having me uh, today. It was actually really, it was a positive experience for me in general. Um, I can say that I was the first one out of the gate who announced that I was running. And had I known there were 35 other people that were going to come after me, I might have thought a little bit more, reflected a little bit more, um, because it was a very crowded field, uh, which meant that you you were had to really do things differently to stand out um, when it came to media, when it came to interviews. Uh, But I was lucky because I had a great campaign manager, a great team behind me who had the experience and really kept me focused on door knocking and what was important and what I needed to do to to win the votes. And I think having that support system behind you was really, it's what made the experience so enjoyable for me. I realized I loved door knocking. I loved meeting people. Um, I didn't have to worry so much about social media and and all the other stuff and all the other noise, I call it. and, and even though I didn't win that by-election, the experience I had, um, I will never regret running at all. It was something I, I learned so much about myself as a person, um, as a woman, and I made so many great connections and friends, lifelong friends, from people I'd never met before that time. Um, not only people on my team, but people I met door knocking and constituents who are now I keep in touch with and who I've gone on vacation with prior to COVID. Hmm. Um, so that sense, it, it just made me realize who I was, um, what I stood for, what my values were, and who I surround myself with. I love it. The next politician that comes to my door, maybe he could be, he or she could be my next vacation partner. There you go. <laughs> that's something, that's a door knocking story I have never heard before. Denisha, I just want to follow this up. You talked about social media, and I think that's a lot, for a lot of women, that is a huge barrier yep. for them putting their name in the hat, in the proverbial political hat. What did you do? So you had somebody else look at that and, and, and you didn't, you just stayed away from it completely? Yeah, exactly. Um, I was told as I was even thinking about running um, that I just had to focus on getting the votes and, and the door knocking was the way to do that. So debates, uh, social media, media interviews, those were all peripheral things. Um for social media, I can say during the campaign, I was so I was so busy and I was so tired that I didn't have time to really look at my social media every night to see what was happening. Um, after I reflected after the campaign was over, I definitely did. And, and I saw some things there that, of course, you don't want to see. But when you're in it, um, you're not really worried so much. Like Those people on social media, mostly t- trolls, I would say they're not the people that are going to vote for you or that you need to focus your energy on. 
they probably don't even live in the ward. So it's not it's not worth really your <laughs> good point to, to be thinking about them. Um, so you have to keep that in perspective. You're there to to win an election. And the way to do that is to get people who live in the ward that you're running in to vote for you. Anyone else outside of that, unless you're running for mayor, um, doesn't like it doesn't really matter during a campaign. <laughs> That is a good point. Thank you, Denisha, for sharing that. How about you, Nafisa? How was it for you? How was it for you running? My experience was also very positive. I had dreamed about running. Um, I always just really just had this political backbone in me, super invested in student politics and uh, different campaigns. And I just knew one day I would run for city council. And I was lucky enough to be part of the city of Edmonton and Waves opening the potential. Um, And it just reinforced a lot of my, um, not only just fears, but also like how to run and what do I need and what are the resources? And also was part of Equal Voice, which um, now is uh, Parity YEG. And constantly people saying, you should run, you should run. I actually became, I was pregnant in 2016. And so my son was three months old when I just couldn't shake that like bone in me saying, you should run, you should run. And so a three month old newborn, I I did it. I ran and no regrets. I was tired, but I think (laughs) every new mom's tired. I think it's just a a different experience. But being on the campaign trail was a very positive experience because it reinforced just how much I love the whole premise of politics and representing the people and learning about different people's concerns and how to build up our community. So I would say it was was a wonderful experience, met a lot of great people, um, and it was a valuable experience to create a foundation to move forward and and what that may look like in the future for me. All right, Taz, I don't know if you're going to complete this trifecta of great experience running for politics. Uh, (laughs) But Taz, you ran for mayor in 2017. You ran for council in 2013. Were those good experiences for you? Um, I would have to say no, they were not good experiences for me because I have such a history in political activism. Um, doing the Island No More rallies, and my my name was quite well known out there as the elder of the Edmonton Remand, and uh, you know standing up for First Nation rights and protection of water and energy and different things like that. So people were some a lot of people were quite familiar with my name, which really surprised me, um, and it wasn't that much of a help. But I did get a lot of uh, support from people out there as well. I can't discount that because uh, there were people who'd walk up in the streets and treat me like I was a I was quite taken back because people would actually grab me, hold me, hug me, and it's as if they, I'm here to support you wow. and I'm, I'm going to vote for you. And I'd be just shocked by it in downtown Edmonton, you know. And uh, so those were pleasant surprises. You know, the other the other uh, end of it was the people who would do the threatening. And, uh, and I had someone who was taking care of things online and uh, because I know that uh, – there's people who pay attention to things online and those are voters too. So I don't just, dis- I don't discount them. And so we tried every Avenue, my, my team, my campaign team, my first team, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we all, it was a really learning curve for many, for, for all my team members and kudos to them for hanging in there uh, when we ran. But when I ran for mayor, it, it was a different story. Uh, then it touched the whole city. 
And so that's a whole different ball game running for mayor versus uh, just running for a ward. So, uh, yeah, you do have the ups and downs and the very, very many challenges of trying to accommodate everybody's values, everybody's beliefs and everybody's wants, needs and desires and and uh, having the ability to push aside your own desires of what you think is best for the for for the needs of the city rather than uh, and instead of listening to the people uh you can't be self-centered running for for these offices i mean you're there to do public service and as a retired social worker i'm very aware of that that role um but money was a challenge all kinds of things were a challenge because i'm not a corporate thinker and that was a hindrance for me so you grew up with a, a really strong female influence. Uh, you had a strong, resilient women around you. Uh, you, you come from a matriarchal uh, family and culture. You're opinionated, Taz. We've talked many times before, and I love it. But do you think that some people just weren't ready for an Indigenous outspoken woman to be mayor? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure most people weren't. <laughs> and thank you, Stacey, for, you know, I, I love you dearly. I have a lot of respect for you. Uh, you and I have had chats before. I know that. And I do appreciate your support. Um, definitely people were not ready and people were shocked. Uh, that, And some people were like, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Those were some common statements I heard. And I quite often would respond with, I don't think, I don't have to think of who I am. I know who I am. And so... I can't help who I am. And although we try to stay away from uh, making it an indigenous platform, uh, when people would see me and, and know who I am, they would bring the indigenous platform into the picture. And so I'd have to try to persuade them as, you know, I'm not here just for the indigenous people. I'm here for the city of Edmonton when I was running for uh, Ward 6, or pardon me, Mayor of Edmonton. And when I was running for Ward 6, I was really one of my platform for my platform was also focusing on the homeless people and uh, the needs that they have for multi-purpose multi or multi-addressed trauma um, services. So all those different challenges, um, you know, there's a lot of underprivileged people in the city, a lot of homeless people, and there's a lot of people who don't agree with me on my stance on that. But being Indigenous, I have to say, was a hindrance was a real hindrance. A lot of people aren't aware that um, many of us have worked most of our lives. Many of us have, um, you know, we don't live on reservations. I've never lived on a reservation in my life. I wouldn't, I don't know what that's like. And it's not something I don't think I'd ever really want to experience. And so uh, I've raised in Edmonton, lived here most of my life and uh, was quite conscious of how it grew and the different things that took place for it to grow. So when I'd be able to talk about the past, the history, and talk about it from that perspective, then people started to relate to me a little bit better than just viewing me as an Indigenous candidate. That is phenomenal. Like, just having you three here is just so inspiring. I'm like, ooh, I'm getting excited. <laughs> I hope our listeners are feeling like, okay, this is something I can do. Like, look, you, you know, Nafisa, you had a three-month-old baby. Like, what? <laughs> you know, while you were doing all of this, and I'm seeing a pattern here that most women who do go ahead and do these things, you know, they do it because they want the city to be better, right? Everyone. They just want the city to be better regardless of their background, regardless of the race, their race. They just want Edmonton to be better, right? And as women, we just 
want to go for it and do it regardless of, you know, the challenges we face, regardless of the amount of pressures we have on our life, if it's a three month old baby or not. Right. And you just want to go ahead and do these things. And I just hope our listeners, you know, women of color, regardless if you're Chinese, black, Asian, whatever it is, you know, you're taking inspiration from what you're hearing from our listen from our, uh, our panelists today, because it's just phenomenal. So with that being said, um, Denisha, do you think a race played a huge factor in, you know, the reason why you didn't win or in terms of the support you received or did not receive? I would say no. Um, and again, this is based on my own experience. Um, I was in a crowded field of, of 35 running in a that's pretty diverse um, in general. Um, I would say when I look back now at who was actually running out of those 35, there was three diverse women out of 35. So of course you reflect on that. Um, there was many more um, men who were, who were diverse that ran in that field. And, and the person that won was a, a diverse male. Um, so I think that for me, race didn't really play a factor in my decision to run. It didn't play a factor during my campaign that I saw. I didn't experience racism at the doors. Um, like I said, I love door knocking and I had great experiences at the doors in general. I think where I maybe experienced racism was after the campaign, um, where there was one explicit, about six months after the campaign, I, I received an email at my work email address um, that was explicitly racist. And that was really the first time um, that it was di just directed towards me. And, and that really scared me. Uh, because they hadn't, they found out where I worked. Um, they not only attacked me, but attacked people who were on my team. And, and I created a, a diverse team around me as well. So I think that was really my first direct experience of racism as a result of the campaign. Um, and, and that was something that I had to work through. And that was something I think I started to, that's when I started to reflect about what really happened during the campaign when I wasn't outdoor knocking and so focused on meeting people and trying to get the votes what were all the other factors? And I think now more than ever, um, with everything that's gone on in the past year, with Black Lives Matter, with the conversations that everyone is having around race, it makes you really think back. Like I ran five years ago, six years ago, and um, it really makes me think about and reflect what actually happened there that I was maybe, I don't want to say ignorant to, but I, I kind of maybe ignored a little bit because I was so focused on trying to, to win an election. Um, and, and it's really now, I think, five years later, I'm, I'm starting to think about race in the context of, of politics and women running in politics, diverse women. Um, and I've been, I was never political before I ran, um, but since I ran, I've, <laughs> I've been very involved in politics in the back end. And I've seen a lot more now than I did five years ago, for sure. You've caught the bug. Uh oh, I think there's some. I think there's some cream for that. I'm not sure. I love it. We got to get your name on the ballot again, Denisha. I'm not quite sure if that's a possibility, but maybe. Um, Nafisa, uh, Denisha said that her being a diverse woman didn't really play a part in mm -hmm. her jumping into the race. But how important is it that we have those diverse mm -hmm. voices at the table? I think it's absolutely so important. I believe that good governance, good policy, good decision-making comes from diverse voices. And that's at every level of government. How can you know and live someone else's experiences um, when you're trying to build up a better community? 
it's important to have different people bring those voices to the table and share with you and to have those lived experiences to make good decisions. Um, I can only speak for myself. I can, I can only speak from, from my experiences, where I come from in this world, what I've experienced, um, you know, hearing Taz and, and Janisha and what, what they bring. And so I just think it's so important and it's a big piece of the puzzle that's missing in our, in our political landscape. Um, so I, I definitely would encourage anyone, you know, listening or, or if you know someone who, who has those ambitions to run, to consider running and, and to start on that journey because we need you. We absolutely need you part of our political world to, to enhance what we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to kind of harp on, harp on, you know, since you talk about that representation and, and putting your name forward is some of the barriers that, you know, women of color may face. And one of those things that's been addressed or has been raised is the fact of um, lack of financial support. Right. So with that, was that an issue for you got for you ladies in terms of running? Was it part of um, um, what do you think it's a, a barrier for other women of color to run is the fact that there is that lack of support in financial. Support. Who wants to take that one? Taz. Taz. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, if I can just go back to the previous question, yes, race played a big part in me running because I didn't see a representation of my voice uh, in, in the city council over the years that I, I, uh, I lived in the Edmonton. And so I know that our values as indigenous people differ and our belief differ. And so um, I think it's important that there be a diverse representation on city council and in, in that where there's voices of many, many different cultures sitting up there who are representing the different cultures within the city. And when it comes to the financial part, <laughs> as you know, Stacy, I, uh, that when I ran for, I think it was, was it mayor? I do believe I had the city make their own, their own um, campaign posts or yeah, you, you came in onto my show uh, with a homemade sign, right? You, you wow. see all the slick, right. the slick campaign signs, but Taz had homemade signs, <laughs> which I thought was endearing, but I don't know if that wins you elections, right, Taz? Uh, it, it, it actually had an impact. I was surprised. Right. Uh, it had a positive impact and people saying it, it, it got their children involved. It got a family mm. talking about politics. Nice. And it actually, uh, I didn't see as many signs that I would like out there. Maybe what I need to do is show them how to make them. I don't know, but <laughs> I really think that, uh, <laughs> you know, have we shouldn't get elected based on how many signs we have out there looking all professional and nice. Uh, when I see huge signs out there, that speaks to me. That makes me ask the question question uh, who is funding this campaign and who is sponsoring this campaign uh, because those of us who uh, don't don't abide by the corporate will fall you know get in touch with the corporate corporate um, entities and say you know we'll back you up we'll do whatever um, I believe there I don't believe in that because I think once you're in office there is a conflict of interest if there is sponsors who are corporate and um they come up with a contract. You're going to have a tough time saying no to these people if they've sponsored your campaign. Um, I, I don't know. I can't say for sure that's a behind door deals, but I get that suspicion. And I wouldn't want that conflict happening 
with me. So I've always said no corporate funding. Now that was an issue with my team. Uh, some of my team members were like, you need the money. You need the money. I said, not that badly to, um, you know, give up my values and to, to all of a sudden throw in my hat and, and say, I need, I need the money more than I need to keep my values as, as an individual to have change. Uh, you have to be the change, you know? So I strongly encourage all people of all races to run for these offices uh, not to look at it as it's uh, one certain culture's domain, but to understand that it's a democracy in this country, in this city, in this land, that people run for office and people uh, go out there and garner the votes. And I know on reserves, the more family you have, the likely, likelihood you're going to get on chief and council. Um, well, that's kind of hard to do in a city of Edmonton where it's almost a million people. So you have a choice to get uh, whatever votes you want and, most often people will vote for people who are of the same belief system, same value system. And so to change that and to change their minds takes an incredible amount of communicating, educating, and uh, providing some insightful other views. So yes, race does play a matter, uh, should play a, a matter of, of representation. I'm sick and tired of seeing, you know, non brown faces up there i'm not trying to be racist uh it's just it would be nice to see more representation mm-hmm. of different of people of color yep. um indigenous people we have now um one person on council who's metis and uh you know fabulous i love seeing him up there i love hearing him talk i can relate to him mm-hmm. and i but i can't relate to, him, to other things people are saying i can't quite relate to it well none of you have seen women who look like you on city council. Uh, we, we've dug through the archives and, and we've listed about 21 women of color who have run for city council. None of them have won. Mm-hmm. However, let's talk about this election. And we're still pretty early on in the year. Yeah. But so far, there's about eight mm-hmm. women of color on the ballot. Of course, that may change as, as we get closer to the fall and the election. What's going on? It, it's, it seems like there's there's some there's a momentum. There's there's something going on that that are allowing women of color to say, you know what? It's time that my name's on the ballot and and that my values and experiences um, help lead the city and, and guide us to where we want to go. What's going on this year, Nafisa? My initial gut reaction is because we're fed up, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, yeah, like we're fed up seeing, you know, the world just have just different people in power who don't represent us. And then you see that translate on, on the street level. And it's it's just, it's just, you know, just stemming from what Tap said is I didn't see anyone that would have my values or, you know, that I could relate to when I ran, but I'd never really seen anyone like that. And not just race, but just where I was in life. And Edmonton being, I think we were, you know, the youngest city or one of the youngest cities and, you know, where I was in life. And, like, who's bringing that to the table? Where's that voice? Not just my race and, you know, being a female, but, like, so many, so many pieces of the puzzle are missing. And so I think what's changed is that we're talking about it. And that's huge. Let's, this conversation needs to be amplified. And... We're talking about it, and I think that encouraging people to run is 
is a big piece of that puzzle to get more women, more diverse women in government. Um, and also just, you know, from my perspective, I've seen, you know, someone like Kamala Harris getting elected in the States. Um, it's showing women of color, yeah, you can do this and you you belong here. Um, so I think we need to keep encouraging, keep supporting women of color who are running and, and take that step forward um, so that the little girls on, you know, growing up today can see that and say, I, I can do that too. Um, mm -hmm. I know when I ran, I had uh, two teenage girls living beside me and they helped me put up signs in the Aww. neighborhood and mm -hmm. came door knocking and they were, how old are they? They were, they were 10 and 12, I think at the time. And, um, you know, I, I brings me to tears, but they, they tell me today they're older and how now one wants to go into politics. Cause she wow. said, I saw that you could do it. Wow. And, and that was like the fact that I had that impact on her means the world to me. And, and that's what it is. It's just showing people that you can do it. And that's how we're going to have different people elected. Yeah, that's amazing. Sure. I think. And, and, and mm -hmm. one thing I think as well, like with this, with this new nuance of just so many women just, you know, putting their name forward. I do think it has a little bit to do with what happened in the States. Right. We had Michelle Obama and then yeah. just recently we have Camilla Harris. And then now all of a sudden there's this can do attitude that's been sparked within, you know, this community of women thinking, you know what, I too can be a part of this and I too can do this. Right. So Denisha, do you think that is something that may have stirred this pot of women <laughs> rising up and saying, you know what, I'm going to take, um, you know, this leadership, leadership position in my city and make a change? Um, so, yeah, I agree with what Nafisa said around now seeing people, um, seeing women, diverse women in the States, but not also in the States, seeing them at different levels of government in Canada. Um, I think five years ago, um, you didn't really see a lot of diverse women at corporate, not, not only municipal council, but at corporate boards, at nonprofit boards, at every area of leadership, um, you didn't see many women. And I think what's happened over the last year, in the last couple of years is, yes, you've seen the Kamala Harris, uh, Michelle Obama, those wonderful leaders, but you've also seen leaders um, at the provincial and federal level in Canada, like um, so many people like Rocky Panchola, for example. Um, and like Nafisa said, it's about time. It's way past time. Um, and, and women are fed up. If you are a new mother, a diverse woman, um, and you haven't seen people that look like you who are making decisions about childcare, about things that matter to you at the table, um, people are now starting to have that conversation about how important it is. And now it's starting to affect um, so many more people. And I think that seeing people that look like you, representation absolutely matters. And I've had conversations in the last five years with women who Maybe five years ago, it was one or two women who were kind of interested in running and wanted to hear about what my experience was. Um, but over the last year, I've spoken to over 20 women who have come to me and said, listen, I'm really interested in running. I want to make a difference in my community. I just don't know what to expect from a campaign. Um, and and what, should I, what should I look forward to? What, what will the challenges be? And I've, had, like, I've talked to over 20 women over the last year. So I'm, I'm seeing the, the rise of people who, are, who want to be 
part of the decision-making table at whatever level it is. And, and I don't think you necessarily just have to be a candidate to do that. I'm seeing a lot more women who over the past five years since I've ran, who are campaign managers, who are volunteer coordinators, who are finance officers for various campaigns. And as long as you get your foot in the door in that way, um, those are leadership levels. And I think that's really at the end of the day, what matters is that women feel that they are contributing to the future they want to see in our community. And there are groups to help, like Parody Yeg, who is a proud partner of this mm-hmm. podcast. They are helping women, women of color, to put their name on the ballot and to answer all of those questions that we're not quite sure of, like, what does it mean? And what do I have to do? And right. what is this? And who do I have to talk to? So you can find out more about Parody Yeg in the very first episode of Searching for Izena. So Taz, what one advice would you give to a woman of color who may be thinking to put her name in this running? Go for it, girl. You know, like, go for it. Don't let anything hold you back. Um, Even if you have the support of 10 people, that's a beginning. And anything in life is started with a seed. And the seed may be small, but look around and you'll see all the trees that have grown magnificently over the years because they were watered with all kinds of things and taken care of. So uh, when you put your name forth, There will be people who don't like what you're doing, but there'll be other people who can see you, listen to you, and value your opinion and relate to you. And they'll be your vote. They'll be the people who will vote for you. And so don't be afraid. You know, we are a country of democracy. And in this supposed country of democracy, everybody is entitled to run for office. It hasn't got to do with whether or not you own a big house or whether or not you uh, have an income of over $600,000 or uh, an annual, you know, or, you, or if you have money in the bank that supersedes most people or the 1%. That's not it. It's a democracy that says, as a resident, you have the right to run for office. And you can put your name in and you can get your signatures that you need. And then you garner your support through some of the signatures that you acquire. And it's a process and you learn through that process. And if you haven't got a political background in your family, then you learn to uh, get the information from other people. It's a learning curve if you've never run for office, but it's really exciting in all kinds of different ways. And you learn a lot of things and you interact with a lot of people and you learn a lot about yourself and your own strengths and weaknesses. Thank you so much, ladies. Plant the seed, see the forest, so many generations to come can play there. Thank you so much for all of your insight. And it's given a lot of inspiration, I think, to people listening. Kim Ann, you're going to be the next mayor? Counselor? <laughs> what? I, I'm not going to stop. I think we, we need your name on the ballot. If not this time, maybe, maybe next, next time. Let's leave a question mark there for now. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Thank you so much, ladies. You guys have been, you ladies have been such an inspiration and in, in sharing your individual experience and journey. And it's so colorful, but yet so bright. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys were great. Awesome. Thank you so much, ladies. That was so inspiring Uh, for everyone that's listening. I'm just I'm just floored and I'm just excited about what's to come in 2021. 
so with that we just wanted to wrap up the the discussion from our beautiful panelists and then we'll jump right into what's to come for next episode. yeah well speaking of motivation our kids right and future generations and our grandkids and our great grandkids coming up in episode five on searching for izena we're going to drop this mother's day and it's apropos because we're talking to the kids of the moms who ran, who were elected. So we are celebrating the moms who were on Edmonton City Council. And those stories are being told by their kids, which we're really looking forward to. So that comes out May 9th. And speaking of mother and daughter, we're ending this podcast with a heart warmer, a pretty lovely discussion. It's a discussion with Sandra Muchakesa. She is a YWCA volunteer. She's the executive director of the Council of Canadians of African and Caribbean Heritage. She talks to her mom. Her mom, this is an international episode. Yes. She is in Kenya, and you can hear the sounds of Africa in the background. So this is a really great discussion. <laughs> she talks to her mom, Beatrice Gatuba. She came to Canada in 1998. She ran for office. She ran for city council. She ran for MP. She was the first girl in her village in Kenya to attend university. She ran in 2017. Here's their discussion. So thanks for making the time. I know it's getting late over there and I can see it's dark. So we'll try, I'll try not to keep you. So thank you again. And we'll just jump right into it, mom. And mm -hmm. first question I'm going to ask you is, why did you decide to run for city council in 2017, especially after your experience in 2015 running for federal election? It's like you just decided to do it. <laughs> Um, it was uh, it was a difficult decision to make, but there were people, friends, actually from the 2015 election campaign, federal election campaign, uh, people who pushed me. Uh, they expressed the fact that my candidature was uh, very successful, even if I did not make it to Ottawa. They said that I was I was influential, and I presented my myself, and they wanted me to actually run for the next for for the the the, the municipal council, and I I believed in them, and so I stepped forward, and stepped into the frying pan. So it was your friends actually, who actually go ahead. It, it was a yeah it was an encouragement from friends mm -hmm. and having just a shortly come out of a very successful campaign as, you know, as I said mm -hmm. but also still burning from that desire that I am capable of making a difference right. a combination of all that uh, you know made me bold enough to step into the Municipal election in 2017, actually, having come out of the federal election right, and being convinced and actually accepting that I could run in a, in a municipal election, because this is the, like we say, it's the lowest level of government mm -hmm. and uh, steeped in the euphoria of the 2015 candidature. I felt that, yeah, if I did so well in the federal election, mm -hmm. I actually can do even better in this. And the difference was like night 
and day. Really? Because, yes, it, it really <laughs> was. And, and, the, and the, this is, uh, I tell people that because uh, I stepped with this confidence that it would be easier because it's municipal. Right. And there was no party affiliation. So you said you could appeal to everybody. Mm-hmm. But contrary to that, problem number one, you do not have the party support. Right. So any fundraising and any support rest squarely on you to raise loads of money, do a lot of research and convince people to come out and actually be part of your team without the support of the of the of the party uh, machinery. Machine. <laughs> yeah. It, it, without the party machine. The you know solely using volunteers you would hope to actually win. So it was, it was, it was, it, it was very hard. Uh, at the, in 2015, at the federal level, I didn't have to worry about fundraising. I know right. I requested people to do it, but the party process brings in the money. Mm-hmm. But at the, at, the, at the municipal level, uh, you really have to be very connected well right. to attract money and mm-hmm. enough to run a successful campaign. So mm-hmm. fundraising was a huge issue uh, and the party support, that was the, that was the major That was the main difference, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. I do remember because, well, being, you know, helping you campaign, I do remember the, the fair election was well organized and it, things were already set in place and all you had to do was just plug in and and run with it, right? But yeah, they, yes. it felt that the municipal elections were much harder. And you said something interesting about the fact that you had to be well-connected, right? That you had to have a network of supporters. Did you find that difficult? For I mean, you were well-known in the immigrant community. And I do remember the immigrant community was really, the volunteers came out for you. Um, But what about mainstream population? Did you receive, what kind of support did you receive from, you know, from the white population or, and from the media? And um, what was, what level of support did you get? Did you think you had enough of that? Did you reach them? Do you feel like you were well connected with people who might have helped you? Um, uh, Not quite. Actually, mm-hmm. I did not. First, the, 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 the field is very crowded. Mm-hmm. The, the municipal election has the tendency of attracting too many candidates because there are no, there, there are no party affiliations. Mm-hmm. So like in my ward, we were like, I think we were 13. Right. And so even the people that you, ex- you were counting on to support you, they are torn in between to you know, to support some candidate whom they are affiliated with in a different way, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to a federal election where you were, I was just myself, and mm-hmm. I mean a liberal, uh, a conservative, an independent, and an NDP. So we were four, mm-hmm. but in the in the municipal, in my own word, we were about thirteen people, mm-hmm. and then. These friends that you are counting on, like the African community and other friends indeed, that I would be with, who would support me in one in, in one ward and I'm in another ward, they are already torn mm-hmm. 
to, to support the candidate in their own ward. So right. the, their, their support was is spread very thin. Mm. Uh, and so uh, unless you are heavily connected and having people, because I did, I can say that I did it uh, 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 by virtue of my community engagement, I I have come into contact with a lot of people, a lot of people from the mainstream, mm-hmm. and I, I had a lot of I I, I had a lot of goodwill uh, and a good support. Uh, for example, you remember that I had the support of uh, uh, former mayor Mandel. Yes, yes, he, I he was there for for my first uh, 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 fundraiser, and yeah. he kept supporting me. I could go to him, and he would he would counsel me, he would tell me this: what you need to. So I, I can't say that somebody who was in Ward Five, mm-hmm. where he had a very credible candidate, uh, a personal friend who had supported him uh, previously, and so he was torn in between. So what I say, what I would say is that the the field is crowded. Mm-hmm. And the support is thinly spread. And then another thing is that the idea that the uh, the, the, the municipal election are free of party affiliation is is is, uh, is uh, not true. I I do want to actually spend some time talking about unique challenges that you feel you faced because you are a black woman, right? Um, yes. Running. For, for council, like were there, what do you recall as to be some, I do remember some instances, but I think I want you to speak to them. What what did you feel, you know, was a challenge for you because you were a black woman running? Um, first, uh, the, the very first, um, the very first one that I can say is uh, lack of recognition. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, as a black person, you you would appear, and you're trying to you're trying you're trying to appeal to people, mm-hmm. and this is at the very grassroots level right. where you need to understand to understand the where the rubber meets the road, really, because mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know the municipal the, the municipal politics touch the people at a very in a very personal way right then right. the next one as a black person was the ability to rise and raise funds like i, I earlier on alluded to lack of uh, party uh, party you know municipal support election mm-hmm. yeah party support like i was mm-hmm. used previously so that came through mm-hmm. uh, also was uh, was uh, was an issue. Let me give you a very good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's the voice, uh, voice equal voice, mm-hmm. in conjunction with the city of Edmonton, and I don't know which other organization they teamed up right. and had a cocktail party mm-hmm. to introduce us to the community so that we can appeal for people to support our candidature financially. So we had this big event. And then we had tables, we displayed our literature and everything. And we stood behind the, 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 the tables, you know, waiting for, for the business people to mill through and mm-hmm. talk to us and see how they can assist us. They did that, but they never got to my table. There was another lady, there were about three minority women. They mm-hmm. actually, nobody stopped at our desk. Wow. So they went, they went, they spoke to the people. Very few went round 
Mm-hmm. They went to a, most of the times my my observation was that they went to a particular client, I mean a candidate that they already knew or were aware of, mm-hmm. and spent a lot of time with them. And later on, they raised funds. So, so in an organ, in all that goodness mm-hmm. of uh, voice of women, uh, equal voice, mm-hmm. and the city of, and I believe another organization mm-hmm. putting this together, still. We didn't attract any acknowledgement. Nobody even wow. came out of the and say, "Why are you doing this? How oh, do you feel?" No, nobody came. And right. so I found that very, very, very curious, which was very different from the federal mm-hmm. election when they would come to me and say, "Why do you want to run?" Then I would articulate, and then they would say, "How can I support you?" Then I would say, "I need some funds. I need some volunteers." I need you to spread the word and they'll say, I'll see what I can do. Right. That was a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you sort of felt so alienated was, in that yeah, sense, yeah. right? It, it was actually very alienating. Yeah. yeah. And then the media. The media totally gave us a total blackout. Really? Yes. Yes. Wow. I, I, the, the media did not cover, I did not see them cover any any mm-hmm. any and they didn't yeah. give you they didn't give you as a black woman you felt either because you weren't well known or maybe because you were black maybe you didn't appear to have any a good chance of winning so they didn't give you the airtime that probably would have made a difference right um I, I, in reaching I, you know people. I, mm-hmm. yeah you know i believe that that they don't give you a chance Right. And I, I, I had a very unique experience in 2015 where the the one of the media outlets in in Saint Albert mm-hmm. uh, covered me like an afterthought, mm-hmm. but it's because I think they had listened to me. But they gave whatever question they asked the one candidate, they spread mm-hmm. to all of us, so we were all covered, uh, you know, kind of equitably. Mm-hmm. Now, what sold us is how we responded. And I remember the last interview we did all something, the last coverage they did of us, they said, one surprise candidate is Beatrice Getuba. We don't think that she'll win this time, but we hope she does not go away. That right. was very encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I wish, I wish that at the municipal level, the media would be that neutral. Mm-hmm the media would be that neutral and actually give give people a chance equitably because mm-hmm. without media the you know the, the 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 minority candidates will not come to the surface right right yeah. wow i i didn't know that part I, I i knew you had a few pieces written about you but it was always in the context of I mean, they did it for everyone. So there was nothing really, yes. nothing stood out in terms of media coverage. But yeah, but, um, you know, I you are what I call a triple threat. <laughs> you're, 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 you're a black woman and an immigrant on top of that, who's always, I feel like you've always been at some very um, inaccessible tables right how how does that make you feel having a seat at the table when you're the only person who's different you know how does that how does that influence how you um you know speak to the to to what to the issues that you want to raise does that make you feel some type of way does it stop you does it intimidate you how do you rise above that you know and make sure your voice is heard 
I started off by being very intimidated, especially yeah. when I went to Canada and I wa- when I was brand new in Canada and in Ontario specifically, mm-hmm. uh, at the very at the professional level, I, I could. Uh, I could go for an interview and a clock once or twice a clock intimidated me. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, and I'm a CPA. And I just said, <laughs> wow. But I realized that it's the second guessing yeah. yourself. Right. I second guessed myself at that time a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then I, I was like, do I really know enough? Then I had opportunity to see that people can be very vocal Mm-hmm. but actually they don't have a lot. I have much more to offer. That started mm-hmm. building my, my, my boldness because as you remember from Africa, I've always been, been bold, mm-hmm. uh, not arrogant, but bold when I'm convi- convicted that this is the right thing. So I learned that in, uh, in, in, in Ontario where it was very difficult to rise professionally. When I came to Alberta, actually, contrary to what people think, Al- Alberta was very good for me for, for my self-development, my professional development, mm-hmm. my political experience, all these things and community engagement came to fruition when I was in Alberta. And mm-hmm. so at work, in the employment, and especially in Makiwan, I would find myself alone as a black person, mm-hmm. you know, a whole, in a sea of people, black people, white people, and I'm the only one. I would go to conferences. My boss always sent me to conferences in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I could be, uh, I would find myself really in the minority, a few people here and there. So what I started doing was I listen and I will always make my presence known that I am there. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask a question. Right. And most of the times it was an intelligent question because if it's in the professional setting, I know my accounting stuff. So I would mm-hmm. stand and I would ask a question and everybody would turn around. They would first, they would, they would see me, I'm black. They will take a cognizance of of the fact that I'm speaking with an accent and and all these things. So I did that actually to to say, hey, I'm there, to announce myself that I'm here, Uh, Mm. you know, and I talk. I don't keep quiet just because I'm the minority. So Mm. that gave me that that that. That gave me extra confidence. I made that deliberate decision that Mm. I'm not going to shrink. I am not going to be small. I'm going to be large and let everybody know that there was a black woman here who spoke with an accent. <laughs> and another thing, while other people thought that I have an accent, which made them sp- stop to think, I, I kind of have a, a gift of uh, gab, as it were. I can <laughs> talk. Tell me about <laughs> <You> know, it. <laughs> I, I, have, <laughs> I have this ability to talk. Right. Yeah. And I didn't realize I didn't realize that 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 was very powerful and resonates very well with with the mainstream community in Canada mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because then you are engaged you are, you are able to engage mm-hmm. and they involuntarily actually listen and so I found this these three things it just pushed me to the top that I believe I can be anywhere. And I really mm-hmm. don't care who it is there. And I can talk. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty That's, much those yeah. are the things that I remember. 
No, that's true. You you are, um, I do remember you've talked about it a lot that uh, you you did have to step out. You had to push that fear down or that intimidation. You had to overcome it. And that allowed you to step into these spaces and be hard. And it's something that I've always watched you do that has influenced me as well as, um, as I've grown older and as I pursue uh, certain interests, I always think of like, yeah, mom in this situation, she would not be sitting quietly in the, you know, in the back row. And, you know, I'm like, what would she do? She'd be making herself hard. So that's always, it's influenced us, uh, your kids and how we, we put ourselves out there. So thanks to you. Great. But on that note, I should be wrapping this up, but I just have one question for you, mommy. So mm -hmm. this year we have, we have quite a number of women of color running, which is great. Um, I think 2017, we did have quite a number as well, but it seems that the trend is continuing, that more women of color are taking up that challenge and, and stepping up uh, to run for uh, city council. What would mm -hmm. you tell these women of color who are running? What would you tell them um, based on your experience from what you learned running uh, for municipal elections? What's your advice? Yes. Uh, I would advise that they choose their word carefully. Mm -hmm. Well, they've that already chosen their words, some of them, assuming they've already, <laughs> yes, they've already declared. I hope that, yes, I hope that they've, they, they've chosen the words correctly, mm -hmm. preferably where they live, because mm -hmm. they need to participate in the community leagues. Mm -hmm. They need to be known at the grassroots. Right. They, they, they have to penetrate that incredibly and speak the lingua. Mm -hmm. um, actually, they need to be part of the board. The, 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 they need to seek board membership in the community leagues mm -hmm. and in any volunteer organizations, like community organizations in, 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 in that area. They mm -hmm. have to be known. It is mm -hmm. not the last minute knock at the door. Mm -hmm. Next, they need, they need to start uh, identifying their funding, their, their, their funding sources. They need to be connected extremely well. Mm -hmm. They need to look for business people and sit and ask for support in mm -hmm. a very bold and very pointed uh, pointed way. Mm -hmm. And they themselves need to know why they're running. They, are not, they, sh they shouldn't come across like they're running because you can run. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, sometimes it's easy to think that it's a, no, it's a novel thing to do. Mm -hmm. But they need to be very convicted what they bring. If they are challenging an incumbent, what can they do differently? And, and bring value. What value proposition do they have? And what value do they bring? It's very, very, very important. But if, if they're getting in to win, they have to get in to win. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if it's to get the experience so that they can, they can run because probably they, 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 they're young, uh, that's okay too. But it's... Uh, it is, it is, it's, it's, it's very time-consuming, and if you're not anchored proper, properly, it can discourage you. So the tenets of a campaign need to be in place 
very, very well. Mm-hmm. And they must not kid themselves. The mainstream community is already very vested in certain candidatures. So how do people resonate? So mm. they need to spend a lot of time to, to understand to the understand, yeah. To understand so, them and speak to them. And speak to them. That's exactly what I was going to say. You need to understand the issues that matter to every segment of the population. And yes. don't just be focused on one segment and, you know, and no. disregard what the other, you know, uh, segment feels, but really understand the issues and, and, yeah. and communicate what it is that you will do for them. Right. So anyway, mommy, yeah. we got to wrap this up. <laughs> all right. All right. Nice chatting with you. I'll let you go. I know it's getting late over there. Thank yes, you once I again. Need to, I need to make dinner. And you bring so many memories from those times. But it, yeah. it's exciting. It it marked my, my journey. Yes. And it's a, it's a period. Even if yeah. I didn't win a seat. Mm-hmm. But it's a period that uh, I'm very proud of. And when I'm like here in, in, in Kenya, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. able to, to tell people, you have yeah. no idea. How yes. <laughs> and I feel very proud of my of my home of choice. You've been listening to Searching for Izena, brought to you by YWCA Edmonton, Parody Yeg, and several past and present Edmonton City Councillors. New episodes from our nine-part podcast are released the third Tuesday of every month until October. Please check our show notes, social media, and searchingforizina.com for more information about this project and how you can get involved. Share this with your friends and family and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep searching for Izena.